like, like I said, you can settle for status quo, but why? <laughs> you know, it's that there's so much opportunity out there. And I, I mean, I get excited about it because I'm just going, wow. I mean, there, there's so many ways that um, my team member, my team members can be more successful. I can be more successful. My clients can get a better experience. They can get, you know, I mean, it can really be a fun, amazing process for everybody involved. It's just, you know, thinking outside of the box, you know, um, you know, it's, it's something you know, sucks about the the industry, but there's no reason why we can't change it. Welcome to All Things Wood Floor, home of the Hardwood Flooring Fellowship of the best and brightest in our industry. I'm your host, Steve Diggins. Today, we have two-time guest Matt Garcia of Craftsman Hardwood Floors, San Angelo, Texas. Get excited and prepared to become more profitable. Today, we're going to talk all things wood floor business, and you'll get a chance to get set up for a faster, smarter, better, more profitable, and more enjoyable new year. Buckle up, floor pros from around the world, and welcome to 2024. Now, let's get to it. Okay, round two. Welcome to All Things Wood Floor, Matt Garcia. Hey, Stephen. How's it going? We talked to the folks at Wood Floor Business, and what they were speaking about was you've got a lot of parts coming up in Wood Floor Business Magazine on business management and so I thought we'd quickly run through a review of where you're from, what you do, and then get into some of what, what you do and what you're going to write about coming up soon. Uh, give me the name of your company, Matt. Uh, Craftsman Hardwood Flooring out of San Angelo, Texas. Got it. Okay. Then when you went from California to Texas. No. Yeah. 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 Okay. And what, what, what spurred that on? Well, uh, I've been in the flooring industry since I was a teenager and, um, um, probably did floors. I think at that point around 15 years and, uh, um, uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife is from Texas and we lived in California married for, for about five years. And once we had a couple of kids, um, uh, we decided that we might look into moving closer to where her family is in Texas. And, uh, when I looked at the area, um, all, I noticed that all of the wood floor refinishers were you know, either dead or retired in the area. It's not a, it's not a gigantic area, but there's a huge opportunity in the wood flooring industry uh, for this area. And particularly there's just, nobody was really capitalizing on, on that part of the market. So for me, it's, it was partly going, wow, this could be a great business opportunity, low cost of living, great place to raise a family. And so me and my wife made the leap. What, what got you involved with writing and giving and working with material for wood floor business? You know, um, <laughs> A big part of it was the the opportunity when I moved to St. Angelo. Um, I wanted to open up a retail uh, store. And even though I had been doing it for a long time, I really didn't know how to operate besides uh, one crew. Um, In California, my whole family did flooring. So we all just kind of helped each other out when we needed it. And, um, you know, I never really thought about expanding beyond that. But when I saw the opportunity here, I thought, you know, this would be really awesome. You know, I really I'm passionate about wood flooring obviously and uh what i really saw myself doing full service so you know having a showroom where people could just get a great experience and uh and uh pick the floors that they want and i could make the showroom that you know really capture the imagination of of what their house home could look like with the wood floor so you know uh we put that award-winning floor uh that one in the wood floor business uh contest 
um, you know, in there and to really just get people imagining, you know, what their home could really look like and really display our talent because I don't think um, sometimes it's hard to illustrate what you can do to somebody unless you unlock their imagination. What does your company look like? The hardwood flooring contracting companies can look a lot of different ways. Some have guys that just go out in van and install Santa Finch and some of them have showrooms and some of them are dealers. Some of them have carpet. Like what does your company basically look like, you know, and how many people? Yeah. So um, there's about eight of us uh, working in our business and uh, my mother, Charlotte, she runs the showroom um, on the retail side of things. And, uh, you know, so she's showing them all the, all the products and um, we team up together and I'll, I'll go do estimates and things like that. And then we got our, our crews. Uh, we got about three crews of um, um, installers um, and refinishers that, you know, will kind of tag team and, and get the projects done. So we, we do it all in house. Um, so, you know, we, we don't, we're, we use some subcontractors here and there, but we, we have pretty high, quality standards and we like to really make sure that the customers getting that five-star experience every time so we we keep we keep things pretty tight here and and just manage uh you know what we can and um but you know at the same time it's you know we we want to grow and and thrive and offer more to our team members so you know that's been part of the equation is hey how can we all thrive better and and there's a lot of opportunity and growth Everybody has different ambitions, right? This, when you got into all this, what, what what were your ambitions? Where did you want to take it from? Just you know, doing the work every day. I love the the craftsmanship um, of the trade. Um, I actually, when I started with my dad, we were doing resilience and um, and some other types of flooring, uh, commercial flooring, and things like that. And um, I just love working with the, with wood. So I, you know, I started branching off into that. Uh, more so and and before I knew it I wanted to do everything with floor so um, that's really what what captured you know my imagination and got me going so what you have warehouse <clears throat> showroom you have sales and salespeople you got your crews out there and I think when I looked at a lot of what you wrote you also have a business system I think that's one that sometimes people forget you actually have been building and working and modeling and and renovating a business model like a business system for what you do right Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, read a lot of books and got a lot of great ideas and thought, you know, I, I, I need to make this work for my business. And, um, some of it, I just couldn't find resources for to, you know, for a flooring business, uh, really, you know, especially, you know, wood flooring specific, you know, we have our own unique way of operating and, you know, I wanted a well-run business that had all the, you know, the fundamentals, the foundations of solid business practices that are universal, but you really have to figure out how does that work within your company? So, you know, when you read a business book it's, and they give you all of these, this structure, well, the hard part is actually implementing it and adapting it and training your team to be able to follow through with it. So that's where we really just started building um, a structure that would fit that, you know, solid business practices. Well, we're going to, that's what we're going to talk about today. So what I wanted to do was build a glossary of terms. Sometimes I'll read an NWFA manual or a tactical manual or anything. And I, I like to go to the glossary of terms. So I'm on the same page. I know what the floor language is. And sometimes uh, like you know, we, it's business one-on-one might be business one-on-two might be business one-on-three. Some things are more complicated than another from what we're going to talk about. And I took a lot of notes from the things you've written. I'm going to throw through some glossary of terms so that when we get there, we're familiar with them. Let me throw them at you. You want to define them for me? 
Sure. Okay. The first one I got is what's a tradesman's curse? The trades, the tradesman's curse. Um, the prophet first book talks about it a bit. Um, but you know, it's the idea that you start off as a technician, um, and you know, so you're great at producing, um, the product. You're probably better than most people that you see around you. So you go into business for yourself and you start realizing that one element is producing an amazing product, but running a business that consistently can produce the project is, is an entirely different animal. And so, um, a lot of times that is taken for granted because you don't know any better. You're a technician, you know how to produce an amazing product. Now being able to reproduce that in a business, that's where the challenge is. And, and you know, that's why it's nicknamed the tradesman's curse because everybody that, you know, is ambitious and has a business sense, you know, that produces a crazy, amazing product as a technician, you know, th- that's where the struggle goes. And, and they call it the curse because a lot of people either struggle or, or end up downsizing because it's frustrating. Yeah. I think, what do you think there's, uh, is the cure or cures for something like that? Yeah. The, the cure, I mean, sometimes it's hitting rock bottom <laughs> right? <laughs> and realizing I, I either got to, you know, be self and there's nothing wrong with being self-employed craftsman. You know, you could be a solopreneur. Um, you can have a small crew. It, you know, you, I think you really just got to figure out what, where is your niche? Where are you strong? Or wh- do you want to grow? You know, and I think that's a, the, some of this going through all of this can help some people say, hey, this is where I need to be. I need to be that solo craftsman or I need to, you know, just whatever level you are. I think that that will help you figure out where you need to be. I don't know what you're, you're, you're out on the other side of the country. I'm here. Please explain for all of us. What is, you said, I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I've heard that, but will you, can you explain that for the people at home? You know, uh, I, I heard, okay. So I heard, you know, where, where do these sayings come from? And I, and I heard that it was, um, you know, the, bathing wasn't, you know, in hot water wasn't, you know, was a, was a luxury, you know, uh, back way back when. And so the idea was, is the baby was the last one to take the bath because, you know, after everybody had uh, bathed, uh, that daughter, that water wasn't looking so clear anymore. And the joke was, you know, uh, you might not be able to see the baby in the bath water. So, right. so in business, <laughs> you, you don't want to be making stupid mistakes, baby. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, when it comes to business, you know, it's, you know, um, it's really about, you know, uh, really prioritizing you know, what's important, you know, don't, don't take something, don't put more of a priority on something that's not, not as important for something that is. And I think that, you know, that's just human nature and, and it happens a lot in business. I mean, that's just, that's just something that we do. Um, because sometimes the most pressing thing is not the most important thing. It's like getting out of that urgency mindset. Uh, now you mentioned reading the e-myth. I think that's Michael Gerber. I read it. I uh, did a class with it. It's amazing that you know that. I love that book. I did an article about it in Wood Floor Business Magazine. Um, you'll know then. What are the basic three components when they're talking about the e-myth? And e-myth is the entrepreneurial myth, right? Yeah. Okay. So there's three components of a business. Yeah. The technician. Yeah. The manager. Yeah. And the entrepreneur. Yeah. So the premise would be uh, the technician is the guy that knows the past and how everything should be done and what works and how to produce quality and and has the skills. 
typically not the person that should be going into business. The manager is the person that's that time conscious watch watches the clock doesn't care about the past he cares about right now what are we doing today we got to get things done today the entrepreneur is the dreamer that keeps you in the future keeps everything pulled ahead uh, and thinks about where do we need to be down the road and i think you know what you were talking about in your article was um you need all three components yeah 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 exactly yeah and and, and that's a lot of, of of what we've built in the system um you know because when you go through a book like that, you start realizing, oh, wow, that that's why we hit this bottleneck. You know, how do we solve this? You know, we hit this and it goes back to those those three pillars that you're talking about um, in, in, you know, building a solid business. And, the, you know, that was really influential with it. Um, you know, it, it really like that was the foundation of, you know, because when I had read that book, I'm going, wow, we need, you know, to implement this into our business. And then off of that, you know, I looked into, you know, other resources and, and, and books and things to say, okay, how do I build up each one of those, those core focuses in the group or in the business? How do you, if you've, if you get, let's say you need eight people to make a company flow and, and you, 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 you need those three components. How do you do those uh, jobs when you have so many people? Or what if you don't have an entrepreneur, you don't have the right technician or you don't, how do you move the company forward? Like somebody has to do all the work, I guess. Yeah. You know, I, I think the, one of the biggest challenges when you're small and you want to grow, there's, there's some revenue. Revenue a lot of times is tied with the layers of management that you're going to need. Right. So, you know, like what I say, most people can handle under 500,000, you know, with just them. And, you know, and that's just a general rule, you know, it, it fluctuates, but I have talking to a lot of contractors and people, you know, 500,000, you know, is manageable. You, you can take care of things. You're not going to be on the tools as much, right. But you can kind of be in the field on the sales and manage things, right. You go to 500 to 750 and you start seeing things start getting out of, out of control. You know what I mean? Start getting tough, you know, and you're, you're, it's hard to get off the tools, right. <laughs> You know, but, you know, if you start getting off the tools and you start getting some structure, then, you know, then you're good. But, you know, you start getting above that and you know what I mean? And then it's the layers of management at that point. Just, you know, and, and, and it's kind of in that in between time of of how many hats can I can I manage until I get to the next step? And that that's where the structure really starts to play. And if, if you get too far, if the, if the structure does not keep up with the growth of the company, you may be real great at sales and, and man, you're just, but then the structure, you, you don't want to build a house of cards basically. So it's good to know all that stuff ahead of time, almost on paper. So that down the road, you can fill those positions Yeah, and, or those roles. I should say roles. Okay. Yeah. In the e-myth, you know, it re- I mean, it really goes into, into all of that and pivotal. So <clears throat> you, I think you should be a, a New Englander because this one's a good one. You, you wrote, it's easier to course correct a small ship than a big one. I like the term course correct. And I, what, were you, what were you talking about in that article? When you grow for the sake of growth, even if it's not intentional, um, and, and I, I know people actually that you know, do several millions of dollars a year in their company and they'll flat out tell you we're nearly making money on accident. And, you know, I've been in mastermind groups of very successful companies and they're just going, you know, we produce a, qual- a good 
a quality product, but it's a, a it's a circus in our business, you know. And they're just you know, so you know, I've been in in, in these masterminds going, wow, I, and they're telling you get a good foundation now so that because it's hard to course correct a bigger a bigger business you know and and i'm just going okay wow like i i love what y'all got going on i'm going to try to take the best of that and get the structure that these people that have more experience are telling me so that as i grow my business I'm not, you know, trying to steer a, a big ship. It's much easier to steer a small ship than a big one. So <clears throat> you mentioned, uh, w- tell me, what is a, a CFO coach? CFO stands for Chief Financial Officer. And um, our CFO coach is um, also our, our our tax accountant. And his wife runs our books. Or, so they have two companies. And so it's really awesome in that respect because um, he can look at our books that his wife's company is, is, uh, managing and we can actually structure and strategize things by looking at the numbers. And what I love about a CFO coach, they're not in our industry, right? So they're looking at numbers. They're, you know, and they're, 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 they're looking at it from a different angle than what you might, which is what I have found that that's, that's really beneficial. And, you know, because, you know, I have other people that, you know, I'm in masterminds and get other coaching where, hey, yeah, they're more or even mentors that are grounded in our industry. And it's it's, it's really eye opening to see the two different perspectives. So do they help you just to look at things and not be so, you know, reactive? Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the the major at first it was just, hey, let's let's just kind of figure things out. Where are we at? What do we need to focus on? And then after that, uh, he really got us looking at lead measures, you know? So yeah, get rid of, get out of the urgency mindset, be planning ahead. And, you know, we just took it bite by bite, but he, he would walk us through that, looking at our financials, telling us, Hey, you need to be looking at this, this, and this. And it really, that's when our mindset started changing going, wow. Um, we could really implement a lot of strategy if we really can anticipate things rather than react to them. Um, <clears throat> a lot of companies, they, they lack either a business model or a business system, or I guess those can be different things. Um, what do you see when you're trying to examine whether you're lacking um, the a proper business model? You know, um, the, the best way is if you can see it on paper. Um, you know, you can see where you're weak. Um, we actually just ran our end of the year um, numbers, you know, we're looking at our PLs and our pro- overall profitabilities and all that kind of thing. And, you know, we realized that, um, we, we actually need a better strategy for, uh, for moving product. You know, there's a huge opportunity there and we're, we're looking at, you know, everything we have in front of us going, Oh, wow. Like, you know, and that's where the strategy comes from is, you know, the, the better you can track and anticipate things, you know, the better informed you're going to be. And, and for, for me that being able to, to, um, look at all those different aspects and, and start a strategy, you know, cause me, me and my, you know, my, my mother, Charlotte, she runs the showroom. And right now that's what we're working on is, Hey, what's our strategy for next year based off of our previous year's numbers. Is there some type of a, a, a basic flow chart? I assume you get, you start with, you get a customer or a lead generation of some type a phone call or a friend of a friend. And then where does your process like kind of simply go from there? Yeah. So, um, we, uh, we have a CRM that we, um, you know, put all of our clients into. What's a CRM? 
a CRM. That's a. Uh, you said it so many times. Uh, customer yeah. relations. Oh, okay. well, you, you get used to the acronyms, and, right? You know, that's, yeah. that's, we're actually we're talking about the glossary of terms, right? Yeah. And so I get used to the acronym. I'm going, what? Is it's a customer customer relations manager. Yeah. Did, did, did I pass the test? You, you got that. You did, but you're hey, right because you, you nail it. See, I just so for people like I say, sometimes you're talking one on one. For everybody's got a different level and different style and different thing. So yeah, I read that. I thought that was interesting. What, what is the customer relations manager? So we have a pretty uh, simple one. Um, it's called RLM, and um, we um, basically it, it's a place that we can put all of our clients information, what samples they have out, what our last conversation was. Um, we can set up reminders. Um, we can set up, um, you know, all of the information that we need, you know, cause sometimes you might talk to a client and they're just not ready for their project. They're getting ideas. And six months later, you got to pick up where you left off of and, um, and, uh, or even just set reminders like, Hey, you know, this person, um, they'll be ready this time, you know, the, you know, cause it, the gold is in the follow-up, you know? So um, it really helps you to manage all that stuff because I mean, especially if you want to grow, you, you just can't remember anything anymore. And it's, it's really, there's lots of different versions of it. They're attached to different types of software. Sometimes it's a standalone thing sometimes. And it's just a way to aggregate everybody's information in one spot. So then that going back to your flow chart, <clears throat> they get your leads and then you probably provide yep. products and services both. Then what happens? Yeah. Do you, they get involved in the purchasing of it, or you go straight to the workload, or what? It, where does it go after they've kind of maybe? Do they come to your shop, or do you go out to the field and, and show people product? We'll, we'll do either one. Okay. Um, a lot of times we like to gauge where they're at, and um, you know, invite them to the showroom um, to get some ideas. But sometimes people. Um, they want you to come out and measure and be able to quote them on the fly. Um, you know, you know how it is just the scope, you know, can change that so much. And so, um, we, we, we will do it either way, uh, kind of, uh, just depending on the circumstance. A lot of times we do try to get them to come into the showroom first because we really want to, we have, you know, um, some really, um, intricate work done in our show. We like them to actually see, oh, wow. Like these people are serious. <laughs> you know, they're not just, a uh, a company that uh, is uh, status quo. These 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 people actually really care and and do some quality work, and we we can display that in the showroom. So um, a lot of times we do try to get get them in, but uh, you know I, I was a contractor for years, and I just had samples in my garage, especially with unfinished. It's hey, you know, here's your species of wood. What what width do you want, and what stain color do you want? So I I love both both sides of the of the model. I don't I don't think that there's one winning. You know, it has a lot to do with with your operation, I think. But personally, having the showroom, I I probably should get them in there. We put so much effort into it, and it, and it does convert sales. And, it, and and people actually start looking at the products and really gathering up ideas. So it it, it helps them to, you know, maybe want to do something, you know, more spectacular in their project. Well, when it's when you're running a small business, right? It's been said that everybody wears a lot of hats. Is that it, at the level that you're talking about? Does that happen with you? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Or You know, um, wearing a lot of hats creates a lot of stress. And some people are better at it than others. But nobody is truly ever amazing at You just can't be good at everything. You know, and, um, you know, when you're small, you, you have to. I mean, <laughs> you may not be good at everything, but 
Um, and that is the benefit of growth. Um, as we've been able to grow, you know, I can have, um, uh, a salesperson that really only has to sit, you know, focus on sales, you know, they, they're going to, uh, you know, go, go do estimates. They can, uh, show material. They can be in the showroom, you know, they can coordinate, take care of office things. You know, it's, it is a benefit having things specialized, you know, it's just like, I don't, even our crews, I really like my sand and finishers to do as much of the sanding finishing as possible. Cause you know, when you're going from install to sanding, you know, anytime you can specialize, you can hone in and become more efficient at it. And so th that's what I do like about growth and, and where you, people don't have to wear as many hats. You know, if you grow big enough, you can have a warehouse person that way that one person just takes that one part of the business. You know, somebody can can just order materials and maybe you have somebody doing, you know, just administration. And it, it really is a thing of beauty when people don't have to wear a lot of hats. I mean, it, that's when you can have a really well-oiled machine. And that's what I love about business growth. Well, I've seen it in textbooks where they'll say that you're right. The early part of it, you, you have to like in the e-myth, he says, you got to wear all the hats. Just make a list of what you don't do well. And later find people that can do that better. I think, I think one of the strongest things you can do in business is look at yourself and know what your flaws are. The rest comes naturally. Yeah. Look oh, where yeah. the flaws are, find people that are, that are better at it. Going, going back to your, um, the glossary of terms, um, give me the, what's your employee scorecard? Yeah, our scorecard, um, we're actually still um, – developing that out a little bit we've played with some different things so we we, we track um the performance um of, of everybody and, and we do keep you know look at our numbers and um so some of it's productivity some of it's going to be quality but we're really looking at those key factors so that they could the idea be behind a scorecard is is they should be able to look at it within 10 seconds really gauge whether they're they're hitting the mark um or whether you know really wherever they are um, you know, if they're doing awesome, you want that, you want them to know, Hey, you're doing awesome. And then any areas of improvement, you want them to understand where they can improve. Because, you know, the idea is, is, is if we all set goals and we track it, we actually can hit our, our numbers, you know, we can hit our targets. So, you know, one of the things I like about it is the idea of a scorecard is you have the larger business goals. Okay. And then you have all the goals of, of all the team members in the company. So if everybody is trying to hit the same target, the company hits target. So the scorecard is a tool to help everybody be able to, to gauge themselves and, and really like, you know, you can personalize them um, to the person and, and, and have your general, you know, scorecard goals. But the, the idea is that they know they have a target to hit. So you wrote in um, this last piece, or the piece that's coming out, there, there, there can be a glass ceiling for growth in, as a flooring contractor in a flooring business or in, in any business. What, what, what's a glass ceiling and what, what are we talking about when we're talking about maybe a glass ceiling for growth? Yeah, so the idea behind a glass ceiling, you know, is obviously you can look, look up and see beyond it, but you can keep hitting your head against it and not ever get past it. And so, like I said, that's usually where the layers of management and the business structure come in. Um, that, that's the premise of the article is that that's what the glass ceiling is. And sometimes people like, you know, they, they just don't realize where, where they're at and, and what the um, logical structure should be at that point. Because like I said, you, you're wearing a lot of hats and you're getting rid of those hats as, as you grow. And that's where the glass ceiling comes in is when do you 
at what point do you do what, you know, like maybe I, I can't afford to have an HR person, right? Like that's something that you need to be a little bigger for, right? But, you know, maybe I can hire a bookkeeper. Bam. Bookkeepers are a lot less expensive than what people realize because they're specialists and they they can do things that in a, in a couple minutes that could take you like, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. And so that's one of the things that I found out is, you know, there's those logical steps of management and delegation that you can start implementing. And, and if you start doing that, that's how you break through the glass ceiling. What, are there, are there uh, grassroots movements in the flooring industry? How does that apply to a hardwood flooring business? Yeah, you know, um, there is – I see, especially on social media and things like that, there's groups. And um, there's been a big theme about, you know, status quo sucks. You know, there is so much opportunity out there if we shift mindsets and we really um, know how to sell on value. Um, You know, how do we because the worst thing, in my opinion, it's the saddest thing in the industry when you see an amazing craftsman that does quality work that is struggling to get enough enough work. And to really be able to charge what they should, what their value is, right? And so, what I, I have seen a big shift in in those mindsets starting to shift. And and wh- where I think part, what I think is encouraging is when you look at, let's say, plumbing and HVAC. Um, you, they are ahead of the curve on that, you know. In in the the early, the adopters of the technology and the business systems are are absolutely thriving. And and I have some friends that are. In, it doing that in those industries and and they, there is some amazing resources with technology and business structure for that and you see you see what's happening in those trades i mean it's really it's it's blowing up there's private equity going into them and and i mean it just um the level of opportunity is amazing and and, and there's no reason why flooring can't get there and really where i'm excited is i'm going hey this is a goal the early adopters of these mind shift, shift changes I mean, they're just going to absolutely thrive um, in the flooring and, and especially wood floors because it's a special niche. And I believe that it is underrepresented. Absolutely. Uh, when you look at poles, it is underrepresented. There's a there's a discrepancy between when people are pulled, pulled um, what is your ideal flooring in your dream home? It's wood floors every time at the top, right? You don't see that represented in what actually happens right and what i believe is that there there's there is a grassroots shift happening and i and i believe that when we get you know uh um more people on board with business structures and models and stuff because you see come i mean i know you know that there's companies that are absolutely owning the market in those areas but what i i really love to see is that the your average contractor really be able to uh thrive um you know by shifting their their business goals Hey, Woodfloor Pros, this is Kim Walgren, the longtime editor of Woodfloor Business. Make sure you don't miss any of the great articles the guys are talking about in this episode by doing three things. One, make sure you have your own free subscription to Woodfloor Business by going to woodfloorbusiness.com, clicking on magazine, and filling out the short form. Two, while you're subscribing, make sure you check the box to also subscribe to the WFBE News. You'll get all the latest industry news, new products, and blogs by authors like Matt Garcia and Stephen Diggins delivered right to your inbox every Monday and Wednesday. And three, be sure to follow WFB everywhere you're on social media and join the discussions with your fellow wood floor pros. That's it for now. 
Let's get back to Stephen's deep dive into smart business with Matt Garcia. I've seen contractors move from the dollar fifty for sanding that they've gotten for decades to a dollar seventy-five, but after the pandemic, there are new people on the block getting three, four, five, six dollars a foot to sand and finish, and you still need to get some of these people that don't have that mindset move your value up it's really hard to find good hardwood flooring people it really is and you're very rare and if you're really good at it you should be getting you know paid what you're worth for it i think that um one of the the final things that you put out there which i I love and i want you to explain it to me is what is it what's a um a gamified work order did i get that right yeah 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 um you know uh i'm very interested in what motivates the younger generations, um, you know, the, there's the stereotypes that, oh, young people, millennials, you know, Gen Z, they, they don't want to do hands-on labor or they don't, or they're lazy or, you know, this or that. And I just, I, I really don't buy into those stereotypes, you know, I, and I've seen it. I mean, I, I've hired people that are lazy and fit the stereotypes and things like that. But what I have found is, you know, if you can connect, especially with the, with the uh, younger generations on their level, it's amazing how much more motivated and excited that they can get, you know, and, and, and that's part of, you know, why we reproduce that. And that's, that's going to be in a, in an article uh, coming up soon in Woodfloor business. Um, We we have a, uh, a photo of it. That's going to be in there. What is a gamified work or what does that mean exactly? Yeah. So um, it looks kind of like a video game. And it's got some some graphs, and, and really, what it is 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 to help them hit their goals, right? So, you know, I have employees; they're on hourly, but I have a performance pay structure. So, you know, what it really is 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 they they earn bonuses on top of their pay. And so, what it what it is is it, it looks kind of like a video game, but it says, "Hey, you know, it's a work order." Though it has the client information on top, it's got a bar graph that shows, "Hey, at at this many hours." Um, this is what your, your hourly pay is uh, based off of productivity, you know? So it really, what, what it does is say, Hey, you're going to get your, your base pay, but you're also going to have a uh, bonus pay. And so it, it, what it does is it shows them where their potential could be. And, and obviously we have quality incentives um, that are also tied to it. So it, it's not purely production, but what, what I want to try, you know, the stereotype that, oh, young people, they just want to be on their phone and they're going to milk the clock. And so this is really to, to help show them if you milk the clock, this is the consequence, right? If you're, if you're not, you're not going to have yourself, that phone. Yeah, exactly. And so we're not saying here, we're going to dock you for those things. We're saying, if you don't do these things, look, look what the potential is, right? Right. And so a lot of the graphics are like a video game and, it, and it's based off of a, um, a spreadsheet. So what we can do is put all, you know, we can line item, you know, hey, you're going to um, re- remove the carpeting. This is how much this is worth. You're going to, so we piece it out for them. Hey, this is what the sand, sanding of the floor is. If there's install, we're going to put install. And what it does is it shows them a, a gradient like, hey, your hourly wage, it, you know, is here. If it takes you 60 hours to do this part, you're just going to be earning hourly wage, right? But hey, you know, if you're productive and we know that what you're capable of, if you're in this range, you're going to be, you know, um, $30 an hour, $40 an hour, 50. It goes up, you know, it goes up to all the different ranges, but it's really, it's just showing them you're not just putting in hours, you're putting in value. Okay. So 
that value is worth something. So, you know what I mean? It's just getting them out of that, the, the mindset, Hey, I, I do, I do the time I, I get a check. Right. <laughs> so, and that's why we call it gamified because, you know, it's, it's like, it's like uh, business in a sense is gamification. Sure. So we're just trying to uh, employ that so that we don't have employees. We have team members. We have people that, you know, are, are, are not thinking about, um, you know, when do I get off work, but how much value do, do I provide in the time that I, uh, that I'm at work? You know, people like to hang in there for games. They like to see the beginning, the middle, the end. Uh, it's just like a sales month. Yep. It, it starts over again, but at the end of the month, it's kind of fun to see how close did you hit your numbers? Where are you going with it? Um, you know, they, they say all the time, uh, you know, the customer is always right. But I read something the other day that basically said, you know, the, the customer doesn't come first. That's an old myth. If your team comes first, the customer will get everything that they need. And that's right. You could put your customers yeah. first and have, like you're talking about a lackluster crew, but if your crew, if your team is super sharp, and I don't like to say employees or, or whatever, I think that, um, and I don't like the term boss, but I think if you have a team and you've built it and you have leaders, well, then when it all comes together, the customer's the winner. When when I'm looking over everything that you've written and everything we've talked about, and now we'll, we'll kind of jump into our, our little thesis statement here is, you were speaking about in your articles, and we've heard it here, that if you um, take charge of your life and your business life and you become a leader and you redefine what uh, success looks like for a flooring contractor or an industry pro, you've got a, a much better shot at success, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like I said, you can settle for status quo, but why? Right. <laughs> you know, it's that there's so much opportunity out there. And I, I mean, I get excited about it because I'm just going, wow. I mean, there, there's so many ways that um, my team member, my team members can be more successful. I can be more successful. My clients can get a better experience. They can get, you know, I mean, it can really be a fun, amazing process for everybody involved. It's just, you know, thinking outside of the box, you know, um, you know, it's, it's something you know, sucks about the the industry, but there's no reason why we can't change it. Exactly. I'm going to break down some components for you, and we'll, we'll get into this exact conversation, like what you were writing about, what you're talking about, building a business model. And listen, a lot of Harvard flooring people, they just, they get their work together, they get out there, they finish it, and it's Groundhog's Day. They start over again on Monday, and I think you got a really good idea. I think that you're going to be doing a lot of important series pieces and that one of the things that you've spoke about online and I've read about it and let's get into it because it's 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 just the, the worst part of the whole deal is how does somebody in the in a hardware flooring trade integrate software and spreadsheets where do those come in and what your model yeah you know um th th that is a challenge you know especially you know being a technician and then wanting to adopt technology and things like that but it's like what I was saying. If you look at what's going on in the HVAC and plumbing world, they've really adopted technology and the companies that are doing it are, they're just very successful because they're running their business off of a structure. Um, you know, and that structure is a proven structure. And so um, I, I think that's, you know, getting out of your comfort zone. I mean, some people are just tech savvy and it's going to be a more natural fit, but I, I think that, you know, um, you can save a lot of work um, doing a lot of business um, breakdowns and analysis and stuff like the numbers that you really need to know without technology. It, it, good luck. <laughs> good, good luck doing it. It's what tough kind of software? Really can, good I'm sorry. What kind of software 
can you use in a in a you know smaller flooring company? Yeah, you know we we talked about a CRM. Yep. You know, th- th- that's a great place to start. You know, um, there's a lot of information you can put into them. Um, you know, um, one of the things actually that I'm doing right now, um, I am, uh, working with a technology company. It's, it's newer and, um, they're using AI to, wow. to you know, and, and, and they're actually building me a website, right, right? As we speak, they're building me a website and it's got chatbots in it. You know, it's got, it's got tools in it. Where, you know, let's say you are on the tools and you're wanting to build your company. You know, you're, you're, that cra- you're a great craftsman, but you, you need more leads to get your name out there so that more people can experience your beautiful work, right? Well, you know, it's, it's softwares where it can, um, it can actually set up appointments, you know, because a lot of times people are like, hey, you know, I, I need this or that, you know, and it, it can actually so that you're not, you know, shutting your machines down right you actually it's doing a lot of that chatting and setting things up so that when you can get to it you already have they may have already booked an appointment with you you know and you can set it up and so this is new technology i I would say this is stuff to look out for in 2024 um i'm looking at it and i'm kind of like uh uh, helping develop it in a way and and, uh i I think it's going to be pretty neat so you know it's uh Jason Potts is, is the guy that I'm, I'm working with and it's foreign gurus is the company. And, uh, he really wants to, to change, um, uh, refinishing, you know, especially in the refinishing industry, he really wants to put resources in, in contractors hands. And so, like I said, this is, this is new stuff, but just, you know, be, be looking out for it. In fact, actually Woodford business, um, did an article, um, uh, one of the web- websites is called ball and knows best. And it's actually an AI that you can ask flooring related questions and it will give you AI answers for it. And they're actually training these AIs to uh, be uh, uh, to learn and actually produce very accurate um, information. Now, I've actually used a, those AIs and uh, I was going, wow, it's finding information real fast. That would have taken me a long time on Google. It's it's pretty impressive stuff. If you're using, let's say, the software side of this, can you track yeah. your can a, can a company? Can they track their profitability? Some people don't know where they're at. I think that's a good measure. Are you actually being profitable? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, there is softwares out that with, C, with CRMs. I, I will say, and that's part of why I'm looking into like these technology companies is and stuff. Is um, we've built a lot of our own uh, spreadsheets to track a lot of it because I have tried using some of the CRMs that are made for different businesses, and they're not really tracking the numbers that we necessarily always want. And uh, you know, I want breakdowns of numbers and be able to really see, okay, like we're really making. Because the idea is, is, is when you estimate the job, you want to know that you're going to have profit afterwards, right? So. You know, you, 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 the less that you're shooting in the dark, <laughs> the better off you are. So, you know, what it does is, is when we run those profitability and now, you know, our profit margins. So we're looking at how much profit margin do we make on materials? How much profit do we make on our services? Like that's the foundational part of it, right? If you can produce those two things, you're a lot years ahead of, of the industry, right? And, but what, what it is, is it starts teaching you what projects you did well on and which ones you didn't. So that feedback loop tells you, Next time I get one of these, I need to go up on this one. And the ones that you do really great on, you focus and go after those ones more. So it's creating a, a real positive feedback loop that, that informs you so that, you know, you, you know, oh, wow. The, if, and that's once we started doing that and we started realizing what projects were, were really the best fit for our company. 
and focus on that, our numbers just really started to improve. Like, like, you know, you can, we can track and go, wow, look at that. Every time we ran a, a profitability report, we run monthly reports. The next month got better and the next month got better. And you keep re, you keep doing that, man, over a year, you can really make a, a ton of ground in your profit. What kind of spreadsheets are you talking about? These like Excel or these, what, or what type are they and what are you using for that? Yeah, we're, we're developing them in, um, in Excel. And uh, we're actually what we're what we're trying to do. I, I would really love. We're testing it in our company. It's been working really great. And I'm actually visiting with the spreadsheet uh, professional um, consistently. We're trying to develop a universal system so that people can tap into a system. And so, like right now, you know, uh, spreadsheets are you know the, the, a lot of people can can use them, and they're they're very user friendly. What we're trying to do is make it you know take the hassle out of creating one. Hey, this is one for you. And, and I've been writing in the articles about, hey, you know, reach out to me, you know, if you need those resources, because I, I have companies testing them out right now. And the goal is, hey, you know, uh, you can run these numbers uh, straightforward, easy and and not have the hassle of it. But that is a little bit of the struggle in the industry is there's just not a lot of plug and play systems uh, for it. Uh, we've had to build a lot of them on our own. But, you know, I would love to share that uh, to the industry as we grow and develop them ourselves. So um, we should have put this in the note section, but give me KPIs. Which that's one of, it's one of my favorite things I like to play around with. What are KPIs and what are, what are, how do they work for you? Yeah, yeah. KPIs, uh, key performance indicators. Yeah. And so um, our, our key performance indicators is um, on the marketing and, and sales side, we're looking at uh, booking rate. So, and actually I'll just, I'll lay it down like this booking rate, close rate and average ticket. That's really the foundation on sales for a, any home service company. Okay. And so well, booking rate is basically you, you get a call, you get their information. Does it turn into an estimate? So that that's, that that's a good number to know. Um, and then uh, your close rate is how many people went from estimate to close the deal. Okay. That's a really great number to know. And the reason is, is you can shift your strategy depending on where you're losing people, <laughs> right? We all think that we're awesome at it, right? But some people, you know what I mean, do a lot better than others. So we always know there's room for improvement, right? And so uh, it, it, this is a great strategy. Okay. And then average ticket, it just, it just tells you, you know, like, uh, who's your clientele? You know, if you can get those average tickets up, you don't need as many clients. And, and that's why we track those numbers on sales is because, if I can double my average ticket, which is very possible uh, with good strategy, you need half the amount of clients to get the same amount of revenue. And that, I mean, that's really, I mean, that's that you can really implement a lot of strategy if you're tracking that. Cause you know, what if you, what if your average ticket's going down? You guys, Whoa, what did I do? You know what I mean? What if your booking rate goes down? What if you're closed? You, you, you know what I mean? You're tracking it. So you're not just going, gosh, I wonder why, you know, we're getting slow. <laughs> well, you start tracking that and it starts telling a story. Um, you start realizing, oh my gosh, you know, we actually, uh, we started lettering our vans and you start seeing that, you know what I mean? You start correlating all of those smart business practices and you do, you know, you keep implementing and, and trying out things. Um, so that's, and then for, for um, our, our craftsmen on our team, um, you know, we're tracking production, we're tracking quality, you know, um, we're tracking our reviews, you know? So, Hey, like, 
if we get a shout out, you know, for our team members on a review, that goes, you know, that's part of the, the, the key performance indicators, right? That shows us we're getting great feedback. Um, and then, you know, also, it, and we're tracking their bonuses too. So, you know, because the way we have it set up, if they make a bonus, the business makes a bonus too. It's, it's universally beneficial. So what we're doing is we're tracking all those key numbers. You, you don't want a million KPIs. You want the most important ones. You track those and you create that feed lo- feedback loop so that you're constantly improving. Do, do you think that um, if, if, if in the business model, you don't have a good grip on quality control at every level, how you conduct your business, uh, the quality of the workmanship, how people in, in a, react with other people, that, that would throw a wrench in everything, right, with your KPIs and your business model. Uh, so you must be watching your quality control. That's got to be part of it, I would think. Yeah, that actually um, the blog, the blog, my most recent blog that had come out with Wood Floor Business was that was one of our components was quality control, and and what we outline is um, it will fall apart if you do not have quality control. So you know we're we're we have a bonus structure for productivity, and that could be detrimental to quality, right? You know what I mean? Because you know, so you know, one of the things that we do is is if you don't hit the company quality standards, you're ineligible for a bonus. So, you know, you start cutting corners and all those things. Well, you, it's really not going to benefit you. You know what I mean? And, and not, but really, I try to be more, I, I try to create a culture of quality because really just incentives, you, you have to have integrity to, to have quality, right? And so really, our, our core values in our business is excellence and integrity. And so out of excellence and integrity comes the quality, right? So, you know, we're, we're, we're praising each, you know, I'm always praising people for quality. Wow. You knock it out of the park. You know what I mean? It's a status in our company when you produce amazing quality. I mean, it's praise. So really I feel like that's the foundation of quality control is the culture. And then, and then the, the secondary part of it is, is, um, um, is tracking the quality making sure it's up. Hey, what, what are our reviews? Do we get bad reviews? Do we get good reviews? What's the feedback from the client? Um, you know, having uh, client, uh, uh, having the client fill out, you know, a, a form about their experience is also really great. You know, you can see where you can improve and, and things like that. But um, I, I feel like quality is the absolute foundation um, in the wood flooring industry. So, there, so you have basically a, a it's a team based pay structure and, and a performance based pay structure, right? So, if yeah. if that's what I'm getting from you, then you also, I believe, you you rank everybody based on their level of workmanship because not everybody can come on and be a five to a player, right? So, I'm assuming that what you've got is, and can you go through your team ranking for me on that? Yeah, we have uh, apprentice one. That's somebody that's very you know doesn't know anything about. Like you know, what, what would um, they it, do? Um, they're going to start off um, handling material, sweeping floors, um, handing tools, you know, learning where the tools go, you know, very elementary stuff. We, you know, we start them off on, uh, you know, more of the foundational elements of things. Um, they're learning at the same time. And then, you know, we're going to set uh, for an apprentice one, we're going to set um, them up for the next tier. So we're basically going to say, hey, once you've um, established that you have all of these sets of skills and you've proven yourself, um, and part of it too, we're, we're tracking productivity, right? So if you're on the team and we can tell that when you came on the team, our productivity has gone down and it has not come back up again, 
that tells us that you're honestly not ready to 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 advance because uh, the bonus structure is weighted based off of skill level. And so, you know, if you're an apprentice one, um, um, we're, we're also looking, you have to show us on paper and and your knowledge and skills that you are ready to become apprentice two. And that's the next one, apprentice two. Yep. What's involved in apprentice two? Okay. Apprentice two is um, you have all the foundational, um, you know, qualities uh, and skills and knowledge. And um, now what you, what you're going to be doing as an apprentice too, is you're going to be assisting a journeyman. Okay. The, the goal is that you're, you're learning all of the higher level skills. So, you know, if you're doing insult, you're, it's going to be layouts. It's going to be managing things, making sure, Hey, the prep is done properly. You know, all the specs of, um, of the floorings and you know how to uh, measure stuff. You know, all the more technical things that might you get, you might get curveballs and challenges thrown at you, right? We, we're, what, what we're wanting to do is work, make sure that you can work through all those things because the goal of Apprentice 2 is basically you got all the foundational things. We're training you to become a journeyman now. So, okay, explain journeyman. That's, that's what the third step, right? Or the third yeah. ranking. Gotcha. Yep, yep. So a journeyman, um, they have to be able to do a, uh, you know, um, a project completely on their own so they can manage the project. They can manage an apprentice because a lot of now we're looking for management qualities. Right. Um, at that point, because if you're apprentice one, apprentice two, you're being managed, um, you know, through all the steps of the process. When you become a journeyman, you we expect you to be able to manage and see a project all the way through. Okay. So, um, I don't, you know, there, there's kind of a little bit of a, of a mid-level there, you know, um, when a journeyman first starts, I'm just going to make them in charge of basic projects. You know what I mean? I'm not going to give them <laughs> something that is, is, uh, over their head. Right. But, uh, I'm going to be throwing them projects at first that I know that they can handle a, an average basic slam dunk project on their own. And then we're going to start developing, you know, them to be able to do more, you know, uh, uh, more intense projects as they go. But the goal is to get them to master craftsman. That's the next level. That was my yep. question for you. You go from, uh, from journeyman to master craftsman. There's no craftsman than master craftsman. I, I wasn't sure where, like, because you do some pretty intricate work. I mean, a master craftsman does some pretty intricate, tedious, really highly technical stuff. And then, Listen, you can be highly technical just installing a hardwood floor in a regular system with all the complications that come along with it. Never mind yep. to be doing it in some super high-end place with thousands and thousands of dollars and a lot of intricate pieces. So the journeyman is your pro, and then the master craftsman takes the craft to, to another level. Explain what a, what a master craftsman does. Yeah, so a, a master craftsman, they're going to have more of the creativity they're going to be able to design um and they're going to have the skills to back it up so um, they're going to know how to bend wood they're going to know how to do circular they're going to know how to do pattern floors um they're going to be able to uh teach you know and, and and instruct you know others you know because a master craftsman can pull you know, somebody that is at journeyman, because really we consider everybody, even the apprentice is a craftsman. Sure. 
you know, in, in our craftsman hardwood flooring, right? But we are, our, 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 uh, uh, one of our uh, sayings is the craftsman difference. You know, this is the craftsman difference. So everybody's a craftsman on the team, whether you're, you know, at apprentice, apprentice one, apprentice two, journeyman, or master craftsman. Uh, but, you know, the master craftsman is going to be able to do, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times stair work. And it doesn't mean that you have to be able to do every single thing, but you're definitely. <laughs> You could tell a master craftsman when you see one. You think that when you're looking at the rank, the apprentice one, too, and you said sometimes they, they, they might either not move forward or they might not be ready to move forward. Um, are there certain things with your team members that might be complicated, difficult, or, you know, just stress them out? Yeah. You know, um, when they don't have good training and direction, um, that's always uh, um I think a lot of misplaced under um, or misunderstandings with employees co- comes with that because we take for granted, especially if you've been doing it for a lot of years, um, of what to expect people sh- to be able to understand or know. You know, we take it for granted, you know, that we've been doing it for a long time, a lot of times, and uh, we don't realize how fundamental people really need to start. You know, and some people actually never got the fundamentals. They may have experience and never really got the fundamentals down. And so um, I think that when um, it it is more often the case that an employee gets in over their head um, and is expected to to succeed uh, when they really are in over their head. They just don't have the guidance and instruction um, and the structure to uh, be able to thrive. And I mean, that, that's going to create frustration for the employer and for the employee. But it, it is. And I'm going to say the reason why it doesn't happen. It's hard. It's not easy. We don't have a universal plug and play apprenticeship guide right, right. <laughs> in the flooring industry. I'm working on developing it because I think 90 percent of what we do is the same. Um, you can add your 10 percent player to it. But I would really love to see uh, you know some sort of guided structure where where people could um uh, get into a company, see a career path, a potential. Hey, I got, I do this and, and I achieve this level. I do this, and I hit this level, and I see the pay, you know, uh, opportunities with it. And um, that's a lot of what what we're trying to do to uh, really just to treat our people well. I just, I genuinely want to treat them as best I can. They got families, they got people that rely on them, and that's that's extremely important to me. That I at least give them every opportunity I can to help them to be successful. So it's a performance pay structure. Yes. I gotcha. So when we talked a little bit about gamifying, and I'm going to let that go because you've been over it, and I think you're going to cover it a lot in the magazine articles that come up in Wood Floor Business. One of the final things I want to talk to is a couple things, um, and we'll put them together. Uh, How about budgeting and cash flow projections? I mean, you're still working with money. It's no good to the company to just give everything away. And you need, can't just break even. You need money to grow, to get equipment, to fix, you know, equipment, to buy materials. Is... Is that budgeting? What's in there? there? You must also be doing some type of inventory management. Do you do you have inventory, or is it just sandpaper, paper, poly braces, or are you are you bringing wood in? Um, we have. Uh, um, I'm not real big on a lot of inventory, especially on flooring. We do a lot of special order, uh, but you know, I always keep my red oak and my white oak, and you know, number one and select, you know, because we for repairs and it is you know you know you're going to run through that. Um, so we, we keep that type of stuff on hand, but most of our inventory is in, um, like what you said, sundries, uh, finishes, you know, all the stuff that you know, that you're going to be, you know, adhesives, 
you know, just buying as much of that stuff by the pallet as we can. Um, um, and, and making sure, cause we're, we're four hours from distribution. So we, it's imperative that we are well supplied. You're four hours from your distributor. Yep. Here as a distributor, I have 14 competitors within two exits of me. 14. That's yep. crazy. Texas uh, is big and vast. Yeah. I'll well, just tell you that. But, but so then with part of your whole system and your software and your spreadsheets and everything, so you're, are you, you're able to do budget and cash flow projections for the company? Yeah. Yeah. That actually, I would say our, our budget and cash flow projection was the number one path to growth for us okay. because what, what it, it cash flows, everything when you're trying to uh, grow and expand a business, um, you know, because if you're scared to spend money because you don't know if you're going to have it next month, or if you don't realize you're going broke, those are two realities that if it's difficult to get your finger on the pulse of that. And, um, when you, when you're trying to expand and grow, because the reason is, is, is when you take that step forward, it's like that glass ceiling, right? Um, let's say you get a building. Well, now you got rent, you know, you got all that money coming out. What if you ex- have a hire a new crew? Well, that's more money coming out. You buy this new equipment. You know what I mean? And what I'm getting at, when you start getting out of your comfort zone and trying to improve and grow, you don't realize how quickly you're running through money. Right. And, and, and there's just things that you can do. That's, that's what our CFO really hounded into us. And, and, and that's why we, we, we project out, um, at least two months, and what we do is when you get a project and you put it on the schedule, if, if it's, you know, something that's going to go in four weeks, we put it on the schedule. We know when we're going to get that next paycheck, right? We know, we know all of our known expenses. So what we do is we, we input all of our known expenses and all of our known incomes into that. And then even things like, hey, we know that we're going to be paying in July. We're, you know, that's when our, our insurance is due or all those kind of things. And what we do is we start inputting everything in there. And now we have a, a roadmap, right? There's so many things that I took for granted that we actually know because that's what our CFO says. He goes, hey, you know, these are not surprises, right? You, you know your insurance is good, dude. You know in a, in a year you're going to have that much expense on your vehicles. You know that you're going to spend this much in, in a branding or advertising. You know what I mean? There's so many of those things. And that's another thing that we're trying to develop, uh, something that works for the, for the wood floor industry is just an easy way to, uh, pr- to project your cash flow. Um, but I mean, there's, you know, like I said, there's technology out there, um, going back to CRM, some CRMs actually have budgeting things. There's some stuff you can do in QuickBooks. Um, uh, the, the key is that you're actually, you know, got your finger on the pulse of, of the money. I mean, the money is the lifeblood of your business. Is there a schedule that you've got going right now for some of this material? Are you going to, is it all going to come out in the next issue of Wood Floor Business? Is it going to come out in segments? Is it going to come out over a certain period of time? Yeah, so um, um, in Woodfloor Business Magazine, they're going to be doing um, some employee training articles. Mm-hmm. And so um, the one that has the uh, the gamified uh, work order is going to be in there. And uh, I'm not exactly sure when, so you're just going to have to kind of keep your eyes soon. out for it. I know people. Yeah, I think it's soon. I got, yeah, a, I got so an editor. I believe, I got, I believe I got, there's a series of articles that I think it's awesome. I think, you know, and so I, I got interviewed on that and shared some of my, you know, my, my gamified work order and all that. So that'll be in there. Uh, but I'm also doing the blogs. And so the blogs, you know, they're coming out, you know, a couple times a month. Um, and it's based off the Tradesman's Curse article. 
And so, cause me, you know, me and Quint Kim Wal- Walgren, we started talking about, you know, I'm pretty passionate about this. I can go on and oh, on, yeah. on about it. She goes, she goes, Matt, this is not a magazine article. This is a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been down yeah. that road. 7,000 yeah, word blog, not going to be going across that desk. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what we did is the, the tracement curse is the foundation. And, you know, I, I, I have, I believe, seven or eight points, you know, and, and what, so what I did is I outlined those in the article that we're talking about. And we've already ran through um, uh, a few of the blog posts on it, but we've got a few more to do. And so um, that, that's what we're working through is, you know, that, that way it's more easier to digest and we can go into each thing. So, I mean, the beauty of this is, I mean, you can type in if you go to Woodford Business and you look at authors. Um, uh, you can type in Matt Garcia, you can type in Stephen Diggins and it's actually, you see everything that they wrote. And what I thought is really cool about it is if somebody really wants to dig into this and, um, they can go to that and they can actually get all that content in one spot, which I I thought was like, wow, this is amazing. This is, I, I need to actually probably post that, you know, um, like, Hey, like, check this out. If you're more interested in this, like, check this out. That's how it worked years and years ago. Somebody wrote an article about black spots in the floor, and I read it, and the answer in the final paragraph was, and we don't know what caused the black spots, and it drove me nuts. And I did a bunch of research, and I wrote what I found it to be, and now I get three emails a day about anybody that even spots black spot, and they spill pepper, they're calling me. So I'm trying, and somebody online, when I was looking one night, and they wrote, oh, Diggins wrote another one about black spots. Oh, surprise, surprise, it's metal. And I'm like, listen, listen, it it is another article, and it's not metal this time. And I started doing the mystery stuff, but it is fun. And Wood Floor Business, they're always a champion out there for the flooring people. I mean, that is the basis, right? It's the flooring installer, the guy that's doing the physical work. And that just helps everybody from the, the distributor to the dealer to the manufacturer to everybody involved and you you pointed it out without a good quality installation system and there's so many ways to do this and there's so many types uh it would just destroy the industry we need people at the grassroots level to be educated and and understand what they're doing i liked the theme of all this package that you're putting together and you you wrote it and people should go on woodford business and take a look at it was um what we talked about in the beginning for harbor flooring contractors and people in the flooring industry to take charge of their lives and take charge of their business because no one wants to be run by their business. They want to run their business. You tell you a hundred people that would like to get rid of their business. They'd be glad to give it to you um, to become leaders and redefine what success actually looks like for harbor flooring contractors and industry pros. It's it, that's what you're, that's where you're going with this whole thing. Correct. To wrap it yeah. up and, and let you escape me. Yeah, no, I, I love how you sum that up because um, I, I think that we really can rede- redefine what success looks like in this industry. Um, um, there's just there's a lot of things changing and, um, you know, just from social medias to uh, sharing content and things like that. And I'm I'm talking to a lot of people, you know, with the the, the beauty of writing for the magazine is there's so many people that have reached out that said, Oh my gosh, you're hitting on these, 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 these pain points for me. You know what I mean? And I'm, and I'm going, Oh gosh, like, and I'm learning from them. You know what I mean? Because they're informing me what has helped them. And that reinforms me to, to be able to produce content that helps them out. And so I'm just going, wow. Um, just seeing this level of success that people are having and that we've had. And I'm just going, I did things for, you know, over 20 years 
the same. And, and that I start tweaking things and just see the fruit of that. And I'm just going, um, it just makes me so excited because like I said, it's, you know, it's, a uh, um, it's like a, you know, a family <laughs> we're, we're the wood for family is, is a niche, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, we it's got a fellowship. the, you know, the retail I... side to the distributor, the manufacturers. And I'm, I'm, you, you've, you've said it before. And it's like, I, I just, I just love that there's going to, there's so much opportunity on the horizon. Well, listen, um, I'm, I forget, too, that one of the things I'm going to put back as I'm compiling the Matt Garcia glossary is the um, pain points, because that came from the last. So, people, yeah. go look at the last podcast we did, and hopefully you and I will be talking together a lot moving forward, because I know we've been sharing writing. We've, we try to take some time ahead of time and go over some of our articles, make sure things are right before they get to our beloved editor, so that she doesn't have to work 17 hours on just hacking up the miles and miles of text that we throw down. Uh, Matt, I got to thank you. This is our second meeting, and I appreciate you being here with me on All Things Wood Floor. Uh, Matt and I have prepared a special. Matt's been writing for weeks on this, and he's come up with a little list for us. Matt, you want to tell us what that is? Because we've already we've we've done the the the, the quick fire questions. You're a second timer, and you've come up with a great idea. What are we going to do? Okay. We got the top eight reasons you might get a bad review online. All right. I listen. Flooring contractors with bad reviews, and they hide from them. And I, I do a lot of consulting, and you can see what goes wrong when things go wrong. So, if in the in the spirit of the flooring fellowship and floor floor language, as I call it, go ahead, Matt. Let's run down the top eight. And listen, there was nothing in the budget to do ten. This is your and my blogs don't support this, so we're going to go with eight of the top ones. You want to roll with it? Yeah, I mean, I was a little disappointed because you know I wanted to get paid for ten, and when they said that, you know, just eight was in the budget. But I mean, you know, you know how it goes. They'll pay me for the others too. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you something. Let's go. Bring it through me. All what right. do you got? Okay, top eight reasons you might get a bad review online. Number one. Oh, spreading a hundred and sixty dollar floor finish with a two dollar squeegee and your boss's five dollar Fiji water bottle. Number two. Uh, who says you got to nail every row? Number three. Number three. The boss explains we don't move furniture. Then he sees a long hair on the floor and shouts out, "Lift with your knees, boys!" <laughs> Number four. Number four, pitching, pitching that ebony is a trendy stain because uh, no one knows the difference between red oak and white oak. Number five. Uh, ragging the wrong stain and posting online, Mrs. Lipinski, you're 84, your eyes suck. It's my favorite. Number six. Uh, number says telling a uh, bloodshot painter that there's only 20 minutes left to Taco Tuesday and then you slide the van up the driveway right into the garage. Number seven. Now, your helper spilled stain on the new driveway, so you offer at no charge to stain the entire driveway. And number eight. Hey, we cut that floor with 36, 80, and 150. Those marks came in the flooring. Those are in the wood. Bam. I think that sounds familiar to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean... I know that there's copyright stuff and everything, but I, I think we did it justice. Well, listen, it's uh, it's our new way to kick off 2024. Matt Garcia, you're my first guest. Don't forget, we've been threatening everybody to do a, a treehouse podcast. You know what? If you're listening to this podcast and you write into Woodford Business Magazine, we're thinking of doing a treehouse podcast at 
Matt's walk out your ranch and bringing in some of the best in the in the business to just talk from what we see in the trenches and get down with the really bottom line dirt, the industry from trade show adventures to seminars and classes and things we've seen in the field. So um, we'll see where we go with it. But Matt, I really, really, really appreciate you being here. And again, always good to see you. And I can't wait to see your material come out in Woodfloor Business Magazine. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Love uh, chatting with you and really just, uh, uh, what I love is, is, is the, you know, what you do for the industry, kind of just, uh, all the resources and, and, uh, people that you have on, uh, I mean, I've been a longtime listener, so, uh, it's helped me out tr- tremendously. I can honestly say I wouldn't be where I am without content and people like you writing for the magazine. Let's keep doing it then, buddy. We will talk. I'm going to end this one and thank you again for being here on all things wood floor. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Stephen and Matt. Like the guys mentioned during the podcast, you can find all of their articles or articles by any other Woodfloor Business author by going to woodfloorbusiness.com and putting their names in the search bar. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review All Things Woodfloor. Floor.